Thank you, Ted, for shepherding our hearts this morning in prayer. It's good to have everyone with us this morning and uh, for our church family, many who are on the road. If you're watching, you are with us in spirit and we're looking forward to seeing you home safely after you visit with family. Well, it's December 24th which means we are almost there. And what we've been waiting for, what we've been looking forward to is almost here. In just 24 hours, our gifts will be unwrapped. Christmas dinner will be well on its way. The basketball games will have begun. We'll see where the Lakers end up. And for most people in one short day, Christmas will be over until next year. But church family, the good news of God's word for God's children is that Christmas is not the end of our Christmas hope and joy. In fact, it's not what we're ultimately looking forward to. Christmas for God's children is just the beginning. And this is because what we celebrate at Christmas as believers is not a day. It's not a festivity. And it's not a day that comes and goes once a year. What we're celebrating is God's very real gift of a new life and a new beginning in Christ. This is the true comfort and hope and joy of Christmas. And this is what the incarnation and the advent and the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, this is what they are all about. And that's our big truth for this morning, that the true comfort and the true hope and the true joy of Christmas is God's gift of a new beginning and a new life in Christ. What this world frequently sells us wherever we go, the gifts that we see, the seasonal invitations that we have, we live in a world that is selling us a new beginning. That's what America is all about. Get a new education, get a new career, get a new wife, get a new life, get a new beginning, a fresh start. And brothers and sisters, they are all lies. Because until we are forgiven of our sins, until we have a new heart, we can never have a new life. And that's what people find out is we just keep on reliving the same patterns and the same sins and the same disappointments and discouragements, marriage after marriage, family after family, job after job, and career after career. But the good news of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, what we celebrate when Jesus came 2,000 years ago, is a true new beginning true forgiveness, a true new relationship with our Lord, and a new start. And to help us appreciate this good news and to see what it is that we truly celebrate, I would like you, if you could, to turn to Luke chapter 2. And this morning, we're going to consider the comfort and the hope and the joy of two Simons. The first is an old man named Simeon who Mary and Joseph encounter in the temple. And then later, we're going to hear very briefly from Simon Peter, Jesus' disciple and his apostle. 
We're going to read Luke 2, 21 through 32. Luke 21, 2, 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation or comfort of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is the word of the Lord. For all the apostles, for all the gospel writers, for all the disciples, for all God's children, what we call Christmas, the incarnation, the birth of the eternal Son of God 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, for them it was not the end. God's people had been promised and they were waiting for not an end, but they were waiting for a new beginning. The end that they were looking forward to was the end of all the ugliness in this world that they were dealing with. And in the Old Testament scriptures, God had graciously and patiently shown them in Israel specifically the direct connection between our sorrow and our suffering and our disappointments and our discouragement and our hearts of sin. They were waiting for the end of all the ugliness that sin had brought into this world and they were waiting for a new beginning where the Lord himself would come and make things right. It was the new beginning God had promised his people right in the beginning in Genesis 3 when he had promised that the seed of woman would crush and bruise the serpent's head. And it's the arrival or advent of this new beginning and the blessing of holding this new beginning in his arms that gives this old man named Simeon a new hope and a new comfort and a new joy from God. A comfort and a hope and a joy that are not of this world, but instead a comfort and a hope and a joy that are received by one thing, by faith 
in God's word. And that brings us to our first point for this morning. The comfort and hope and joy of Christmas are the comfort and hope and joy of faith in God's word, not faith in this world. Brothers and sisters, we live in a world that defines comfort as a state of physical and emotional ease and freedom from distress and pain and constraint. That's how our world defines comfort. Freedom from distress, pain, and constraint. It's frequently the comfort we find from a pill or a bottle increasingly. Hope is defined as wishful thinking. It's an uncertain expectation and desire for something that we want. And joy is defined simply as a feeling of great pleasure and great happiness, something that you can get from a movie or from from a friend. And I raise this because it's no surprise that the comfort and hope and joy that many of us experience at Christmas, the comfort and hope and joy that we look forward to, the comfort and hope and joy of this world, they are as fleeting as our feelings and our expectations and our circumstances. Because that's what they are built on. And when we build our houses, our hope, our joy, our comfort on sand, it will go that way. And by these definitions, as we look at these definitions, which frequently we all, myself included, live by and we get geared up for, by these definitions, as we listen to God's word, Christmas offered very little comfort, very little hope, and very little joy for Joseph and for Mary and for Jesus. As we take a step back and consider what the testimony we heard Jeff read from this morning in Luke chapter 2 in the very beginning. It's as part of a Roman census that Mary and Joseph are obligated by Roman law to travel from Nazareth to register in Joseph's ancestral town of Bethlehem because Joseph was of the house and lineage of King David. That is an 80 to 100 mile journey by foot or at best by animal in a cart. And to make Christmas even more uncomfortable, specifically for Joseph and Mary, Joseph and Mary are obligated to do this trip while Mary was very pregnant. She probably looked like Isabel, if you've seen Isabel recently, ready to burst, on the verge of delivering her first child. In fact, some commentators speculate that Joseph, in God's sovereignty, may have waited out of concern because so many women lost their lives through childbirth. And to do that journey on a cart that's going bump, bump, bump on those roads, up and down hills, is not anything anyone is looking forward to. And then on arrival in Bethlehem, likely due to the census, Joseph and Mary discover that there is no room in the inn, so Christmas Eve for Mary and Joseph is no Christmas car. It's not about singing Christmas carols or wrapping or exchanging gifts with family. Christmas Eve for Mary and Joseph is about being alone. Years ago, when I had the gift and privilege of serving as the physician on call during Christmas time, 
And one of my medical partners said to me, oh, it's no big deal. Don't worry. It's a happy time, people. And my goodness, the saddest, most despairing and suffering people all intensified because many times they were alone. And I think there can be no time worse in the year to be alone than at Christmas. When you're being reminded by the world that you should be happy, you should have all these things, things should be bright and sunny, and for whatever reason, you're alone. Well, Joseph and Mary, they were not just alone. She was in contractions and about to have a baby. And she was alone, just not in any place like the Ritz-Carlton or a hospital ward. She was alone in a room that was designated for farm animals. And after Joseph probably had to deliver and help deliver the baby, they had to use an animal feeding trough known as a manger as a crib for their newborn son. And as you walk through the narrative, you see this is just the beginning of the discomfort and difficulty that's placed on this family at Christmas, all because of Jesus. And shortly after Jesus is born, Luke explains, Joseph and Mary are then obligated again, they've got to travel, this time out of obligation to the Jewish law, in order to fulfill all the Mosaic obligations of new parents and firstborn children at the temple in Jerusalem. And though this is only a six to eight mile walk, per se, if you've been there and you've traveled from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, you know that Jerusalem is the city on the hill. And the temple and the temple mount is in the highest point. And as you arrive and get close, it gets steeper and steeper and steeper and windier as you go up to Zion and to Jerusalem. And you think this is a woman who only eight or nine days ago just gave birth to her first child. And she's got to carry this child and they have to go up this windy hill. And at the end of the windy hill, they come to a temple that is filled with people and they have to wait in line. Not for a ride at Disneyland, but in order to sacrifice and offer the sacrifices that are required of them after the birth of their first child. So it's because of Jesus, Christmas for Joseph and Mary is not easy, it is not comfortable. It's not practical, and it certainly doesn't meet most people's expectations and desires. What we see is because of Jesus, Joseph and Mary's Christmas has become a journey of sacrifice, not for themselves, but for the Lord. But as you look closely in those God-breathed words of Luke 2, 19 through 24, what the Lord begins to show us very subtly is even as Mary and Joseph sacrifice the fleeting comforts and hope and joy of this world on this journey with Jesus. With Jesus, Mary and Joseph begin to experience a new comfort and a new hope and a new joy. And it is the comfort and hope and joy of faith in God and his word. And brothers and sisters, this is what happens when Christ enters into our lives. Our lives change. Our lives become part of his life and his story. 
And part of the beginning of that story is a death and a giving up and a separation from the comforts and hopes and joys of this world, the people we've hoped in, the things we've hoped in, the careers we've hoped in. And we see what the Lord begins to graciously do is he begins to separate us from the things that are really keeping us from him. And in place of those things, he begins us to give He begins to give us the comfort and hope and joy that we so desperately need. The comfort and hope and joy of faith in God that we can trust him and faith in his word. And as we consider what is it that sustained and carried Mary and Joseph through all these difficulties, my family know if it was me in that room, me on that journey, me crawling up, okay, be cranky and irritable, Pastor Mark. Why aren't we going faster? Couldn't we do it this way? But for Mary and for Joseph, their faith and belief was that all of God's promises of salvation to his people were and are true. That this child that God had supernaturally given them by the power of his Holy Spirit is in fact the Son of God, the Messiah, who has come to save his people from their sins. Their faith and belief in what the angel said, but in the entirety of the Old Testament, is that with Jesus, regardless of how difficult and dangerous the journey, God is not absent. He's very present. He is Emmanuel. He's God with us. That they are traveling with the Son of God. That they have precious cargo that they are carrying. And as they carry this child... God is loving them perfectly. And in the midst of the madness, God is doing something infinitely wonderful and good, not only for them, but for the whole world, all because of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, Christmas can be difficult. Traveling, waiting in lines, getting stuck at airports, interacting with people who we only see some time of the year. It's not easy. But the gift for children of God as Christ is in us is that in the midst of these things, even though we can't see it and understand it, our hope is not based on our circumstances or our situations, that in the midst of that, God is doing something infinitely good, that he perfectly loves us. And even if we don't understand, he's going to bring this to a place where the light of his gospel is going to shine to the people who so desperately need it. This, brothers and sisters, is the faith of Mary and Joseph that keeps them going every step of the way. For Mary and Joseph, the words that were first found in the Old Testament, and then through the angels and then through the shepherds in Bethlehem, And finally, as they come through the mouth of this old man named Simeon, step by step, they're increasingly experiencing a comfort and a hope and a joy that is eternal because it comes from above. Now, what's the proof of this in Mary and Joseph's life? Well, it sounds like pie in the sky, doesn't it? But as you look at Mary and Joseph, the evidence that their lives are filled with a new comfort and hope and joy 
is their faithful obedience to all that God asks of them. Not because it's easy, not because it's convenient, not because it's practical, but because they trust God completely, that he loves them perfectly. And this is the reason Joseph takes a pregnant Mary as his wife. And this is the reason, in verse 21, Joseph and Mary give this child an official name. Verse 21, the name that was given or commanded by the angel before he was conceived, Jesus. And as they give this child that name, Joseph is affirming everything that the Lord has said is true, that this will be the one who will save his people from their sins. And in verse 22 through 24, Joseph and Mary take Jesus to Jerusalem in the temple to present him to the Lord. Why do they do this? Obviously, it's not because it's fun. They do this because they believe that this child belongs to God and not them. He is God's son. When you go back into the Old Testament, there's another woman who does something similar. Her name is Hannah. She's been waiting and waiting and waiting for a child. And when the Lord miraculously gives her a child, what she does after she weans that child is she takes him to the tabernacle and she gives her child away. Why does she do that? Because she knows and she believes, first, that the God of the Bible loves her perfectly and loves this child perfectly. But more importantly, this child belongs entirely to the Lord. We see that Mary and Joseph are doing the exact same thing. They're giving this child to who he rightfully belongs in the temple. They're giving Jesus to the Lord. And we see through these acts of obedience and sacrifice that their comfort and hope and joy is not found in what makes them feel good. Their comfort and their hope and joy is that the child they carry is the one who is bringing God's spirit and his salvation to God's people. And this brings us to our second point this morning. The comfort and hope and joy of Christmas are the comfort and hope and joy of God's spirit and his salvation. What gifts are you looking forward to receiving, brothers and sisters, this Christmas? What things have you pursued? Well, as we come to this portion of Scripture, we see where the Lord and where faith is leading Mary and Joseph. It's leading them to the comfort and hope and joy of God's Spirit and His salvation. This is where faith in God's Word always leads. And this is the testimony of a man in Jerusalem named Simeon, whom the Holy Spirit leads to Jesus, Mary, and Joseph in the temple. In verse 25, Luke specifies what sets this man apart. And it is nothing less than a hope that comes from above. Brothers and sisters, the difference between our worldly hopes, uncertain expectations, and desires of things we want, and the hope that God gives is that the hope that God gives does not disappoint because a hope in the Lord is certain and sure. 
and he is able to give all that he promises. He's able to give what we so desperately need. And this is the hope that we see in Simeon. Luke explains that this man was righteous and devout, which is a reference to his faith and also his right standing before the Lord. He also closes and says that the Holy Spirit was upon him. And in the middle of this summary, Luke shows us the defining passion and pattern and fruit of this man's faithful spirit-led life. He says that it was waiting for the consolation and comfort of Israel. This was Simeon's life-dominating hope. This is what his whole life was about, waiting for the consolation and comfort of Israel. Brothers and sisters, what are you waiting for this morning? Hope is about what we wait for. Hope is about what we look forward to. Hope is about what we anticipate and hope will come. And we think of all the gifts that we hope for and what's waiting for us under the Christmas tree. And as we said before, for the world, hope is uncertain because it's built on our experience, our expectation, our desires. Maybe we'll get them, maybe we won't. We're as good as our spouses and what they can get for us. And when we get what we hope for, we're joyful. And maybe we feel lucky. And when we don't get what we hope for, we can, get be, we can become discouraged and disappointed. But Simeon shows that for God's children, hope is something altogether different. God's hope is the fruit of faith and trust in a God who loves us perfectly and in his word. Because this faith and hope are in God, not our feelings and our expectations and desires, this faith and hope are 100% certain. So the hope of faith is not an if, it's a when. Because ultimately, this is a hope that is in God. And it's a hope that's about waiting for God to fulfill his promises, very specifically his promises to those he loves. Psalm 39.7 says, And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. And Psalm 135 says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. Luke, in verse 25, describes Simeon's hope very specifically as a personal waiting to receive a promised work or gift of God. That's what that term waiting means. It's actually waiting to receive a gift, to receive something from the Lord. And this is what Simeon's waiting for. And what is this gift that Simeon is waiting for? It says he's waiting for the consolation, verse 25. Another word for consolation is comfort. He's waiting for the consolation and comfort of Israel. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Isaiah 40? Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended 
that her iniquity is pardoned, that she is received from the Lord's hand, double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Now, Isaiah 40 through 66 is known by many as the book of comfort as it brings the final section of Isaiah to a close. And it's referred to as the book of comfort because in it, the Lord promises his people after his judgment is complete for the faithful remnant who repent of placing their hope in themselves and their hope in this world, but instead place their hope in the Lord. The Lord is going to bring comfort. And if you look and see what this comfort is that he promises to his faithful remnant, very specifically, it is the comfort of the forgiveness of sin. It is the comfort of God's complete forgiveness and deliverance from the separation, from the sorrow, and from the suffering of sin. Brothers and sisters, why are we lonely at Christmas? Why do we deal as we look out in our world at the heartbreak and the suffering that's there? Well, as you walk through Isaiah, Isaiah makes this point to the children of Israel. It's because we've placed our hope in things that cannot give us what we so desperately need. God gives that offer in Isaiah, though your sins be as scarlet, I will wash you and make you as white as snow. He points out a new beginning is just not a new home or a new job. What you need here is a new relationship with the God who created you and loves you and made you for himself. And God here says this promise is what we so desperately need to be fulfilled. The comfort we need, brothers and sisters, is comfort from our sin and from the sorrow and suffering of the sin of this world. The comfort we need is a new beginning and a new life that only God can give. And through the rest of that book of comfort, the Lord promises that this comfort will come through his servant one who is anointed and filled with the Lord's Comforter, the Holy Spirit. It's going to come to his servant, the Messiah, the Christ, who's going to give his life for our sins so that we might have his life without sin. And this is not only the testimony of Isaiah 53, this is the testimony of the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, and this is what Paul gets so excited about. In Romans 8, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he's paid the price and he's forgiven our sins. And then he ends by saying, Neither death nor life nor anything else will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And this is the comfort, the salvation, and the Savior Simeon has been waiting for. the comfort and the salvation and the Savior who can give God's people the forgiveness of sin and the freedom from sin and a new life 
with God and for God. And this brings us to our final point this morning. The comfort and hope and joy of Christmas are the comfort and hope and joy of Christ with us. This is where faith in God's word and the revelation of the Holy Spirit leads Simeon and us. They lead to Jesus. Verse 26, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ or Messiah. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms, and he blessed God, and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. And why did Simeon say this? Verse 30, For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. Brothers and sisters, let me ask you something. On this Christmas Eve, it's not something typically people ask on Christmas Eve. Are you ready to go? Are you ready to die? If the Lord were to take you at this minute and moment, could you say that's okay? My children are okay. My spouse is okay. My family's okay. We're good to go. Now, there are times we take our children and we drop them off with Steve and Kathy. And I sleep well at night because I know they're in good hands. And I know if Julie and I are driving or if anything happens to us, they are in good hands. They're in the hands of people who love them. And we don't like to think about that at Christmas time. But the hope, brothers and sisters, and what we see with Simeon is Simeon comes and says, I'm ready to go. My life is complete. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. It is all good. And with these God-breathed words, Simeon is showing he has a hope and he has a joy and he has a comfort that this world does not know. You can take all his circumstances, all his situation, all his money, his home, everything away from him. You can take his life. It's fine. Why? Because what he holds in his arms is everything. Simeon, filled with the Spirit, is celebrating not just who Jesus is. He's celebrating what the Lord has graciously allowed him to hold in his arms and see for himself. The comfort, the hope, and joy of the Lord's salvation for the whole world. And because this is what Simeon has and what he sees when he holds Jesus in his arms, his life is full and complete with Christ. It's worth noting, as Simeon shares with Mary in the remaining verses, he points out this is just the beginning. He lets Mary know, hey, there's trouble coming. There's going to be some highs and there's going to be some lows. There is much more yet to come, including the cross 
and the resurrection and Christ's return. Yet for Simeon, there is only a heart overflowing with praise, peace, and joy. Why? Because with Christ in his arms, now, he possesses all of God's life and love and salvation, past, present, and future. Brothers and sisters, when you get a gift that you've been waiting for a long, long time, and the first opportunity you have to unwrap that and hold that package or hold whatever it is, and you've been thinking about it and waiting about it and dreaming about it, and you finally get it, it doesn't matter you haven't used all the options on it. It doesn't matter that you haven't seen everything that this gift can do. It doesn't diminish your joy and the thrill. Because what's exciting and what's beautiful and what's great is that this gift now belongs entirely to you. And for Simeon, God's gift of salvation of his people and the world, his remedy that he himself would come and make what's so wrong in this world right. Yes, there's a lot to play out. But because Simeon possessed Christ, he had a past, present, and future. It all belonged to him. This, brothers and sisters, is the comfort and hope and joy of Christmas. And this is the comfort and hope and joy for every child of God when we possess Christ. So let me ask you again, what are you waiting and hoping for this Christmas? If we're honest with ourselves, brothers and sisters, for many, Christmas can be both disappointing and brutal. And it's not just for the folks who are in Gaza or in Israel or the Ukraine. It can be disappointing and brutal, not only because we live in a disappointing and brutal world. It can be disappointing and brutal because we ourselves are disappointing and brutal. Our expectations can be disappointing and brutal. The ones we put on other people and the ones that we place on ourselves. And the remedy that the world offers is, well, just believe in yourself or just forgive yourself. But the problem, brothers and sisters, is you're not the one who's been most offended. The Lord is, because he's loved you perfectly. And every minute and moment that you have, he's given you an opportunity to abandon the hopes of this world and place your hope in the one who loves you perfectly and gave his son to die on the cross for your sins. Mm. Brothers and sisters, the remedy for the disappointments and brutality of the things of this world, God has given us in his son, Jesus Christ. And for those who place their hope in Christ, everything we really need, the forgiveness of our sins, past, present, and future, a right relationship with God, a new beginning and a new life, the hope and comfort and joy of the Lord, God gives it all to us, not because of us, but because of his son, Jesus Christ. So the first place we have to stop at Christmas is set to say, look, is this what we're hoping for? Is this the gift that we have? 
have we indeed placed our hope in Christ? And if we have, the question is, what's next? What Mary and Joseph learned, that life with Jesus was not easy, but it was infinitely worth it. And this is a lesson that not only Mary and Joseph would learn, but also all of Jesus' disciples, and especially his disciple Simon Peter. And as we come to the letter of 1 Peter, Peter provides a helpful exhortation for believers who love Jesus but are living in a disappointing and brutal world. He writes this letter of 1 Peter to a group of Christians and two churches that are beginning to be persecuted because of their faith. In other words, like Mary and Joseph, their lives are becoming harder, not easier, because they belong to Jesus. And Peter knows that their lives are going to become harder still. And so the encouragement that he gives them is the same encouragement that Simeon gives Mary and Joseph. And I would encourage you this Christmas to read 1 Peter because I believe it'll be an encouragement to you. But what Peter reminds them, number one, he refers to them as exiles. You don't belong here. This is no longer your home. Your hope is somewhere else. And then he reminds them what their hope is. He says, God has born you again to a new and living hope. In other words, the hope that this world has, it's all dying. And if that's where your hope is, you're going to die too. But praise God, if you're a child of God and you possess Christ like Simeon did, you have a new and living hope. And that new and living hope is your salvation. And he goes on to say, even though you are grieved by trials that are happening at this time, you understand that these trials, these difficulties that are coming your way, it's really a test of your faith. And these trials, what they show is that you have a faith in something greater than this world that is going to outlive and outlast this world. You have a treasure kept for you in heaven. And for this reason, because of this living hope, your salvation, Christ with you, you now rejoice. And you now rejoice with a joy inexpressible. Why? Because the one you love, though you can't see him, is the one who is with you and has loved you perfectly, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then he gives them two exhortations or commands. If indeed you belong to Christ, he commands them and exhorts them. He says, set your hope on the grace that is to come. Set your hope on the grace that is to come. He's telling them this is just the beginning. In the same way that Christ came, he's going to come again because God keeps his promises and your hope is to be set on the grace that Jesus is going to give you when he comes again. And brothers and sisters, this is what Christmas is for. Christmas is a warm-up act. Christmas is here to prepare us and show us a taste of God's goodness in Christ in anticipation and preparation that Christ is coming again. Set your, gra- set your hope on the grace that is to come when Christ reveals himself. And then, if Christ is your hope, 
he exhorts them. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, your old hopes, your old expectations. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. What he's saying to them is, if Jesus is really your hope, if you are really waiting for him to come again, if this is all that matters in your life like Simeon, then set yourself apart for Christ in every aspect of your life. That every aspect of your life is devoted entirely to God's greatest gift of all, your salvation, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, we wait for you because you are the remedy. And we thank you that you came to give us a new life and a new beginning and a freedom from our sin and our lives. For those who do not know you this morning, Every minute and moment you give to them is a gift from you. We pray that they would place their faith in you and find a new hope in you, a new peace and a new joy. And for those who do belong to you this day, we pray this Christmas that there would be incredible celebration and joy and that we would not look for what we do not have, but that we would be mindful that with you, Jesus, We have everything. In your name we pray, amen.